0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries, plus napkins, plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this, plus so much more.
1: Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.
0: Oh, it's Monday, so that means it's podcast time again. Actually, you may not be listening to this on Monday, so whatever. But in case you didn't know that, somehow, the podcast comes out every single Monday. That's when the fresh episodes drop. So if you're just kind of casually listening, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss all the goodness. Hit that subscribe button in whatever podcast player you are listening to or follow, some of them call it. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple, etc., there are so many I can't keep track of them these days. Anyway, today I've got a really good episode with my dude Colt Caproon. Colt is a very, very well-regarded producer in Nashville. He's a great guitarist, despite what he says. Don't let him tell you otherwise. He tries to say it on the podcast, and it's just not true. The dude can rip But beyond that, he's super knowledgeable about the music business, about producing, about recording, about engineering, mixing, all of that stuff. And he shares a wealth of knowledge over on his YouTube channel. So go check that out. Of course, the links are in the show notes and all that good stuff. On this episode, we get into some very particular stuff about Dolby Atmos that maybe from the outside doesn't seem like it's going to impact things very much. But once we get into the nitty-gritty, I think you'll see how this could impact the modern democratization of music. It's become very normal in my mind and a lot of our minds that anybody can put out very high-quality music at any time and potentially get it discovered and get it playlisted or whatever. And we dive into how that could be very much impacted by what is burbling. Burbling? Sure, that's a word. Gurgling. Whatever. It's bubbling. That's a word bubbling under the surface with some of these larger musical retailers. I guess for lack of a better word, Apple does a lot more than that, but they are a musical retailer at the end of the day, at least one of the major outlets. Anyhow, we go into a lot more than that, and it's definitely not all doom and gloom, but I think you will learn something from this episode if I would stop this intro Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have somebody I've been really wanting to talk to for a long time, Mr. Colt Capron. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. Uh, I am doing better today. I've been sick for the last week or so. Oh, so. It's, it's been going around, it seems like. Yeah, everybody's getting hammered with it lately, so yeah, I've been... Uh, This is the first day I'm not just coughing like an insane person, so we'll see. if I'm sure some of it's going to slip out to everybody, so if you hear me uh, making weird noises, that's uh, probably what's going on. So I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) Well, dude, I've been wanting to get you on for a long time. Uh, We've got some mutual friends there in Nashville, which is how I discovered your channel. Uh, Nice. uh, John, who works for us over there at, at Stringjoy, has recorded with you and done stuff, and uh you popped up through that channel and i was like oh man this looks really oh wow he's doing some really cool stuff next thing i knew we were at sweetwater together uh hanging out so i thought man i gotta get cold on the show
1: that's awesome yeah there was a period of time uh when i was doing two records with john simultaneously and so he was here like two or three days a week for like a month and a half in a row just (laughs) just banging it out and it's the weirdest thing about being a producer is like you you spend that much time with people and then all of a sudden one day you don't see them anymore when the project's <laughs> done like they're gone. <laughs> yeah, it is it uh
0: is your studio at your house yeah, or is so it somewhere this,
1: else? Yeah, so this room is at my house um and basically uh I do everything here except drums uh and then if I'm doing like a full band thing like full band in a room then I just pick whatever Uh, studio in town fits the band's budget and fits the vibe of the music that we're going for. And then I book that out. But for maybe 90% of everything that I do, it's done right here in this room. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. So I want to get into the whole story. Obviously, you've done production and recording for a very long time. But at some point, you decided to make that more uh, publicly available and do YouTube as well, which more and more people are starting to adopt but Mm -hmm. I I feel like you were a bit early to it on the production side of things versus, there's been pedal demo people forever, but as far as specifically focusing on what you focus on, I feel like you were a bit of an early adopter. Yeah, I mean, the weirdest part is I watch almost no music
1: content on YouTube and never, like, my YouTube feed is all, like, cars and cameras and watches and that kind of stuff. Uh, So I was not actually even up outside of, like, you know, uh, produce like a pro and a couple cha- of couple big channels like that. Obviously, I knew who they were. Um, mm-hmm. But it really started when I was pushing Instagram pretty hard long before I thought about doing YouTube. And I just kept getting this same like 10 questions over and over uh, from artists. And it was just you know, how do I get a manager? How do I release music? How do I book shows? How much do I charge for, you know, just the same like 10 questions. And I felt bad because I, I was getting busier and busier and I couldn't dedicate the time to reply to each of these people like like I wanted to. And so the first videos on the channel, which are still up, uh, are just like 30, 40 minute podcast style, just like this talking head style thing where it's like, oh, you want to know how to get a manager? Here's everything that I think and know about how to get a manager, what a manager should do, what they shouldn't do. And then when someone asks that question, here's a link to a 40-minute conversation about everything that I think about it so I could help those people out as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And this might be getting off a little bit in the weeds, but I was filming the first ones. I was filming with my phone and recording the microphone into Pro Tools and the time code on the phones are really, really terrible. And at the end of a 40-minute conversation, (laughs) the audio is like three seconds off from the video, and I'm like, what is happening? And then I I was like, okay, I've always been really interested in photography anyway, um, so let's start looking at some cameras. And then in the search for a camera, I found, you know, Casey Neistat and Peter McKinnon and and I was like, what if I just did, I'm sure a million people have had the same thought, but what if I just did Peter McKinnon for music production? Mm-hmm. And like that was the inspiration. Uh so bought a camera, just started doing that. And then the first video that really blew up was building this studio. Uh I had only had I had only posted six or seven videos on the channel ever. Uh, and I was like I we clo- we built this house uh for the purpose of having this studio and I was like I'm just going to film every detail of building this whole room mm-hmm. and I th- that video is the biggest or the second biggest video on the channel still and that like just kick started everything that got me to 10,000 subscribers like almost overnight and then I was like this is a this is a real thing so I just I just kept going with it and now um, it is uh not from an hourly perspective, but from a business perspective, it's a a more of my
0: business than actually producing music, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird how that thing can happen. And it there's something about I, I get sucked into I don't know why I'm surprised by it, but I get sucked into studio tour videos. You know, I get mm-hmm. sucked into that. I know Rhett Scholl's been documenting that and that's like the my favorite thing to watch on his channel. Absolutely. But like, for my own which I've, I've just barely started doing much on YouTube at all. And uh, I did a like a, I don't know, like a seven minute, just like walk around with my cell phone and shoot the shred shed, you know, video. Yeah. And there's not that much to see, really. Uh-huh. It's not that big. It's like 300 square feet, you know, so you can you can walk around it fairly quickly. Yeah. And people immediately were just like, oh, this is great. Thank you for doing this. Any updates? I would love to see them. And I'm like, maybe it's just because I'm so accustomed to it. Like I just like this is just where I work. So I I, I think there's so
1: many people that just they want to see a behind the scenes look. They just want to see a look behind the curtain, just a peek. Mm -hmm. And anytime you show them that peek, uh, they
0: eat it up. It's crazy. Yep. But yeah, YouTube is a YouTube's a weird one, right? Because it's it can it can be like that. A video can just hit and it's like, all right, cool. This is a thing that I do now. And it can also just be this massive grind. that. (laughs) That's yeah, like, well, it, this should hit. Why is it not hitting? It, it's, yeah, and, it's a weird
1: thing. And some of the earliest videos, like I was doing like these tiny little guitar playthrough clips uh, that I really post. I created them for Instagram. And then in, you know, about the same time or slightly before I was doing those podcast style videos, I was posting those on the YouTube channel as well with zero consistency and zero hopes that it would take off. And none of them ever did take off. I think the biggest video was like I did a, a demo for the Third Power Citizen Gain uh, prototype. And that video got like four or 5,000 views. And that was like a huge deal because everything else I had ever posted got 37 views. And yeah. uh, so I just I had no hope for the YouTube thing. It was just a video platform that if I created a video, I would just go ahead and toss it there anyway. Um, And it wasn't until I actually started. Cause I also didn't follow any YouTubers. Until I started doing that. Like I wasn't an avid YouTube watcher. Uh, and then once I found, you know, like the Casey Neistats and the Peter McKinnons and a bunch of people like that, I was like, oh, this is very
0: cool. Why didn't I know this existed? I I just live under a rock, I think, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the camera stuff is is interesting. I mean, there at Gearfest, that was like the first time I had my camera out. And it's very obvious when I go back and look at it. Like, it's like, whoa, dude. This is not great. Uh <laughs> and it's still not great, to be honest. I still am like so new. I just have a lot of friends helping me out because I really don't don't know what I'm doing. But my friend Devon, he he really inspired me because he started with an iPhone. And if you watch his first video, you I don't think you would assume that he started with an iPhone. So he just mm-hmm. really has an eye for it. Mm-hmm. And now he's on a Netflix shoot right now. Like he's he's got like multiple red cameras and like all kinds of stuff and so he's been my spirit animal as far as guiding me so he really threw me right in the deep end he's like get this black magic camera blah 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 blah." and oh and so you went right for it i'm like if that's what devon says to get that's what i'm gonna get i guess and then i realized like well i probably could have went a little bit easier into the uh into the whole
1: camera thing, but yeah, you you could have went with something that had like rock and autofocus at least, so that way you weren't <laughs> trying to make like indie documentaries. But uh, yeah, yeah it, it and then also the weird thing about YouTube is there is, uh, and I f- I feel this way about everything video related, but specifically YouTube, there's this weird dynamic where like the super raw like. Super rough, raw stuff seems to be like really relatable to people. So it can do very well if it's the mm-hmm. right subject matter. And then as you go up in the production value, it's less and less appealing until you get to a really high production value. Think, yes. And everything in between just seems to not do that great. Uh, two of my favorite YouTube channels are uh Doug DeMiro, he does like car review stuff, and Whistling Diesel, who's like mm-hmm. not too far from here. And uh, Both of those channels only film with iPhones. And they have, I I think Whistle and Diesel has, I don't know, six or eight million subscribers or something crazy like that. And they do the
0: whole thing with iPhones. Uh, It's crazy. That's wild. Yeah, I I, I found it very, very much, or very similar to music production and guitar because I I found myself the other day, I'm like, this is so dumb. This is so silly, but we do the same thing in music where I'm like applying uh, super eight like filters and stuff over the top of my footage to make it look yeah. worse. Yep. And and uh just i I'm like I like this lo-fi vibe. I'm like, well, why don't you just shoot on a VHS camera then because uh, <laughs> that's uh that's going to do it for you. Well, uh, it's
1: it's funny because you mentioned that we do the same thing in music and that is a parallel that I didn't expect. Like the fact that this filmmaking YouTube thing is equally creative and technical, it like scratches all the same like emotional itches for me that music does, uh, except there's not nearly the pressure of like, oh, if this client doesn't like the mix that I did for them, then then that's a problem. I can make whatever video I want about whatever I want. So it's a it's been a very freeing creative endeavor for me because I, I get to, uh, treat it kind of like a hobby and and get to play around with that balance act of creative versus technical. And it's very, very satisfying to me.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I realized we we jumped like way ahead into <laughs> what, what you're currently doing now without actually touching on. How did you get there in the first place? Obviously, you play guitar. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're very passionate about music. But how did you get to where this is your career e- even before YouTube? Yeah, so I was in a band right out of high school. And
1: I, I grew up unbelievably poor. Like Taco Bell once every three months was like a real treat for us when I grew up. And so I, I uh, one of my dad's friends gave me a guitar when I was like 14. And my parents were like, if you're not going to take this seriously and learn how to play it, you're going to give it back. And I'm like, I'm not giving this guitar back. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I started working on playing guitar, graduate high school, got into an original rock band, and we were all just broke. Uh, The local studio at the time wanted like four or five grand to do a record, which now I think is absolutely hilarious. That's like $0 for a record. But back then, none of us had that at all. Mm -hmm. And I worked at a music store in Peoria, Illinois, called Flores Music, and it was one of the bigger music stores between like Chicago and St. Louis, and they would let me put gear on an account and make payments on it. They would take it out of my paycheck, which was, a, in hindsight, an absolutely terrible thing to allow an 18-year-old kid to do. (laughs) Uh, So I actually just did a video on this a couple videos ago. Uh, I got a hard disk recorder and some microphones and was making payments on it, and I produced our first record. And in that video, I I critiqued my very first mix off of that hard disk recorder. I still have it. Oh. that very first song that I did got played on FM radio uh, and like three-ish bands, uh, local bands hired me to do their record immediately after that. And then the next year, three or four bands and the next year, three or four bands. And then that studio that that we were considering recording at uh, offered me a job and I started working at that studio. And then in a year or two, I was running that studio. And then a year or so after that, I needed, I kind of just needed my own place to uh, I was just too busy. I had too many clients to like share the studio with different people, and so built a, a huge uh, thirty six hundred square foot studio right downtown in Peoria, Illinois, where I'm from. And was there for a handful of years and got my first label credits and all that in that studio. And then eventually they decided they were going to redevelop that building into condos. It was a huge warehouse building with like painters and sculptors and photographers, and I had a, a big chunk of that place to for my recording studio and so when we all found out we were getting kicked out I was like like things were things were fine like you know you had I had lots of ups and downs I had had a couple day jobs and had had been full-time had a day job full-time day job that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and when when I found out I was losing that studio I still owed like many many thousands of dollars on my construction loans for that studio and it was like such a gut punch that i was like am i going to go back to school or am i going to what am what am i doing with my life right. and uh I, I i basically decided that if i was going to keep doing this i wasn't going to keep doing it in illinois i was going to go to some bigger market where the ceiling was a lot higher and so we looked at you know austin and nashville and maybe seattle i didn't really want to go to la or new york and we decided on nashville because recording capital of the world first of all and then secondly it was only like a seven hour drive back home and it was interesting because my background is all like contemporary alternative ccm rock and metal and like the entire country genre was shifting to be like that and so i found myself in this place even back in illinois where I was starting to do a lot of country records, but they were like rock country records. Mm-hmm. So I felt super at home doing that. And I'm like, yeah, let's let's give it a try to Nashville. Move here, moved into an apartment here because I, I just didn't feel comfortable trying to buy a house or trying to rent a commercial space. So I got my feet under me. I fully expected to move here and just, and just get eaten alive. I expected to move here, get my butt kicked and move back home is what I expected. Yeah. And for some reason it, it didn't happen. And uh, just, I spent four or five years in that apartment cranking out 150 to 200 songs a year. Wow. And uh, eventually the time came to, to build a place. I, I looked at a ton of commercial places. We looked at a ton of houses. Couldn't find anything that really fit everything we were looking for. So we decided to build this place uh, kind of centered, centered around this studio. Very cool. Very
0: yeah. cool. It's quite the journey, that's for sure. <laughs> that is that is quite the journey because I'm think sitting here thinking like I remember I had one of those Yamaha hard disk recorders, you know, back in the day. I bought it from a friend. He he was like, I'll give you a deal on it. I bought it for like six hundred bucks and I never could figure out how to use it at all. I was like, this thing is so confusing. How do I so confusing. <laughs> I could not figure it out. I, I I, don't even know what ended up happening with it. I have no idea. I, I don't remember if we sold it. I don't know if it's sitting in some friend's garage. I have no idea what happened with that thing. That's but then funny, like, man. Fast forward like to a couple of years later after I bought it from that dude, we got a little bit closer and started hanging out more. And I was like, yeah, that Yamaha is confusing. He's like, yeah, I never could figure it out. I was like, good <laughs> luck, buddy. You know, <laughs> have, a, have fun with it. But you right. were able to launch a career off of something like
1: that. I was very... I. Well, I want, I definitely am very fortunate to, to land where I am, but the, the journey, like when I pulled that hard disk recorder out a few weeks ago to film that video, I was just, I couldn't even hardly figure out how to run it again, even though it was mine. And I, (laughs) I made, I don't know, 15, 20 records on it. Um, and where was I even going with that? Uh, it was, it was so difficult to just figure out how to use it that, uh, I, I can't, oh, that's where I was going with this. Um, When I was listening to that earliest work that I did, I was remembering how many times, like how much work and how many hours went into each one of those songs because I was not very good and I didn't know what I was doing and the tools were extremely limited. And so, you know, it might've taken me four days to mix one of those songs on that, that silly little thing. And then like, hundreds of trips to the car and listening and like back in and uh, making notes on an actual piece of paper because smartphones Mm -hmm. weren't even a thing yet. Like, okay, the kick drum needs more low end, the vocal sounds a little harsh, whatever, whatever, whatever. Go back inside, make the adjustments, print it again, go back out to the car. Just (laughs) so much time. So I'm definitely fortunate to have landed here. However, uh, the time that I put in was kind of insane, really. And I think that was the only reason why it worked is because I was just willing to put in insane amount of hours to, to get the job
0: done. I think that's really the, the secret sauce in any creative endeavor, really. I, there are so few people. I, I think people might go back and hear you, you know your earlier comment, like, oh, I did this studio tour and then YouTube blew up. But it's the reps you got to do. It's like all these different times you have to do the thing over and over and over again, and I've, even with with this show, some people are like, oh, so you just like talk to people and that's it, huh? I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's all that. It, that's all that it entails. I don't do anything else. No, it's like there's so much that goes into anything creative, really. At yes. the end of the day, and if you don't want to put the time in, it it's probably not going to be your career because you you have to be willing to work way more yes than at you know any other job almost that, you know? that's
1: that's what i always tell people that want to get into producing or uh, mixing or whatever like you just have to outwork everybody else you have to be a better problem solver and you have to be willing to outwork everybody else until you've reached a point where you're of a competitive level with your skill set and with your client base and all that cuz uh, there's just it, it's a wild thing where like you know, you've got the the Howard Bensons and the Chris Lord Algies and like all these these top, top-tier triple A list producers and mixers. And then there's a whole bunch of people like one level under them. I don't mm-hmm. want to say any names because I don't want to insult anybody. And those people are like putting upward pressure on those top guys. And then there's yep. probably me. I would say that I'm like a level down from that. And I'm putting relentless pressure on those people above me. And the second you stop focusing on that relentless upward pressure someone that's below you is just going to pass you up because mm-hmm. there's always someone that's working harder uh and it's a it's an interesting like kind of a rat race but also like a you you can't ever let a moment pass you by you just have to work as hard as you can all the time always put your best foot forward or else someone else is going to
0: and and they're going to they're going to win ultimately yeah and the other secret sauce is you got to be cool you can yes, work yeah. really, really hard. And if you're a jerk, it, yes, a lot of that can work against you like that. like You have you to be, be a good hang. Guy. You have to. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're trying to be a touring guitarist, you're trying to work with artists in some capacity, any capacity, you're trying to be the front person. It doesn't matter. the The days where the diva wins are like over.
1: It's so, so over. And it's funny, like I remember hearing all of these stories about you know whoever Guns N' Roses or even more recently um, you know some of these metal bands like European metal bands that were famous for like trash in hotel rooms and stuff and like that was cool just just a couple years ago and now no one wants to deal with that stuff like you got to no. be a good hang you got to be responsible and
0: reliable otherwise it just doesn't work anymore mm-hmm well and, and if you look at the people that have like you know they're our outliers of course but One of the the listeners of this podcast know I'm obsessed with the band Thrice. Mm. Uh, They're they're my absolute favorite band of all time. And I've gotten fortunate enough to know some of these guys. Nice. But if you talk to anybody in the industry that's ever worked with any of those guys, like, man, they're amazing people. They're amazing people. And their career has been consistent. You know, people want them to win. Yes, you know, if they want they want people like that to win. So you're going to say nice things about them because they were cool. They were nice. Absolutely. It absolutely. I and I've told this story on the podcast before it go I think it applies to more than just creative careers, though. I didn't get laid off in 2008 versus another guy because I eventually did like a lot of people. But in this particular round of layoffs, just simply because the manager liked me better. Yeah, we we were both equally skilled. We had the same amount of experience. Blah 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 blah. Yep. And the, I heard through the grapevine later, it was like, oh, it's because that guy's not not very fun to be around.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and oh. i I've been preaching that for years. That like a, a a better person, a better hang of a person, a more reliable person will often get the job over someone who is less reliable and more talented, or mm-hmm. harder to deal with and more talented, because just no one wants to deal with that stuff. Uh it's it's got to you got to be a good hang, you've got to be reliable and talent is like secondary. I'm I'm not far away from looking to hire somebody as an assistant here. I I've, I've needed to do so for years now and I've just been holding off on it. But like I'm way more concerned with what type of person I'm going to hire mm-hmm. than what their skill set is because if they're going to be across the hall from me 8 hours a day, like we got to get along. And mm-hmm. I can teach them how to edit or teach them how to you know, tune vocals or whatever the situation is. But but if we don't get along, I don't care how well they can tune vocals because my day is going to be miserable spending all day every day with that person.
0: Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Mercury, Mercury X. X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 sample rate, and 99 preset locations and 33 banks? And something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, all now right. can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label, But these days you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services, and it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. And the reality is there are lots of people who want to do these things. That's oh. that's one of the benefits of uh, like as hire, uh, hiring can be difficult in this mm-hmm. current like environment but not it's still not that bad in these fields because so no. many people want to do it. Absolutely. It's the the supply and demand in the music industry I think is something that often doesn't get talked about mm. where the reason it's so hard is because so many people want to do it. If it was super easy and yes and then I mean it probably was super easy at one point relatively speaking. Relatively right? speaking, yeah. Yeah. Uh now it's just you you have to work harder, you have to be cooler, you have mm-hmm. to you have to know the right people. Yep. And um it's kind of relentless. Yep.
1: And the quantity of people that want to do it versus the people who actually pull it off to succeed. I mean, I don't know. It's it's got to be 100 to 1, 500 to 1, 1000 to 1. Like it's the amount of people that I see show up. I've been in Nashville now long enough to see so many people show up and then leave because it didn't work out. And the quantity of people that leave is crazy. Like it's, it's really shocking and it really makes you, uh, it really makes you, it's it makes it really obvious how difficult it actually is to forge a real career out of this and how lucky those of us that have done it are, mm-hmm. whether it's, pure luck or hard work or hard work and luck or whatever ratio that actually is there's just so many people that that don't make it and i think the supply and demand you hit the nail on the head there mm. because the there's there's more people that are interested in doing it than could possibly ever make a living there's not there's not the market for that many people
0: no no and fortunately i think one of the good things about the music world as it as it is now is there are more opportunities. There are more ways to make it than there used to be. It 100%. used to be, you got to get on the radio, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. You can be massive and never be on the radio. Zach Bryan selling out stadiums across America right now, he's gotten yep. zero radio play, zero. Yep. Like twenty he, in 2018, I I'd need to do this
1: for every year. I've just gotten lazy since 2018. But in 2018, <laughs> uh, 50% of the Grammy winners... Did not have a record deal. They were independent artists. 50%. Really? Yes. 50%. Wow. And I can only guess that that's become more and that percentage has grown and grown. Now, obviously, they had to have like huge management and like investors behind them. Like, it's not like they had no infrastructure built around them at that level. Sure. But the idea that we are in this place where you can forge a massive, massive career uh, without any label support whatsoever you know, here in town, uh, I don't know if you know who Cooper Allen is, but has kind of just recently blown up on TikTok and like sells out theaters all over the country, is, has a full-blown career getting offers all the time. And like, he doesn't need them. Why, why would he even take a deal? Because he's in total control of everything that he does. He makes way more money than if he would sign a deal. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting landscape right now.
0: It is. Yeah, and it's shifting. And obviously, the labels still the big ones still hold a lot of power. They're in yep. you know invested in some of these uh streaming platforms that are the gatekeepers in some ways. Um and, and I kind of see that uh not that I'm
1: rooting for this to happen, but I see that becoming more and more the case. I I have this theory that uh record label or the streaming companies are going to become the record labels sometime Mm -hmm. in the very near future. like You already see YouTube signing people to exclusive deals. You already see Spotify signing tons of podcasts to exclusive deals. Uh, It's only a matter of time before these platforms are like, well, let's just sign, you know, fill in the blank, whatever artist, and now you can only get their music on Spotify or on Apple Music or on YouTube Music. And what I think you'll always be able to release your own music, but I'm nervous that that will incentivize these platforms to push their own signed artists infinitely harder than the average independent artist and it i'm worried that it in over the next five to ten years it's going to get harder and harder for independent artists to gain that kind of traction um but right now like the last like 2016 2017 to like probably now is 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 like the goldilocks zone for independent artists in my opinion Mm
0: mm-hmm yeah, I, I could see that becoming the case. It's it's certainly the case with, um, like premium content, right? Mm-hmm. HBO's got their shows, and if you want the HBO shows, you have to go sign up for HBO. Yep. And if there's enough people that keep telling you you got to watch Game of Thrones, eventually you might actually do it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Type of thing. And now we've gotten away from being subscribed to a cable provider. You know, we we have thirty seven different streaming oh, goes, <laughs> excuse me services <laughs> instead. It's so it's so bad. I I think I'm
1: probably five or six hundred dollars a month in subscription stuff. Now a lot Whoa. of that a lot of that is like software for here in the studio. Sure. But like it just is never ending. Every single thing you use is a is a different subscription. The all the Adobe stuff and all the plugins and Pro Tools and Netflix and Hulu and you know, it just it never ends. Uh and I get why the trend of canceling your subscriptions is so popular right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna lie; that is part of why I started editing in DaVinci because I knew I was getting mm. the Blackmagic camera, and I was like, yep. "It's gonna come with the camera." But even if not, it's one of the only premium softwares out there right now that you can pay 200 bucks one time and mm-hmm. get it for and get it the updated version forever. Forever. Uh, I was like, "Thank you for keeping that old school model Blackmagic." I will learn to edit in you because for that reason and that reason alone
1: (laughs) 100 percent. and it's a really powerful software arguably the best color grading software
0: that that there is at the moment that is what i'm told but i've never edited (laughs) it in anything else so i wouldn't know (laughs) yeah
1: i think all of them have their pros and cons uh i'm a final cut pro user since i'm all mac on everything um and it's the way Final Cut Pro works with the new Apple Silicon is pretty wild how efficient and fast and snappy everything is. Um, and Premiere has, you know, if you were doing like like actual documentaries or like feature films of any kind, I think Premiere is still the, it, it has Final Cut beat for that stuff for big in-depth projects. Mm-hmm. But DaVinci just seems like they're just forging their own path. And it's very interesting. I haven't tried it yet, but it, it's
0: high on the list for me to try. It's what sold me on it from other than what I just said is it's very DAW like in how it works. Mm. So I didn't feel like I was having to relearn too much as far as an interface goes. Got it. So it it's like, oh, okay. I can see like, oh, you assemble it, these video pieces kinda like tracks. Like, oh yeah. I and I can apply different quote unquote plugins, not really, yep. but yeah, to different tracks. I was like, oh, this layout just makes some sense to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. But again, I've never worked in anything else, so I wouldn't wouldn't be able to tell you. I started on iMovie just because I had the MacBook and or whatever
1: whatever computer it was. i ha- iMovie comes with all the Macs, mm-hmm. and so the all the earliest videos, maybe even the studio build video, and that was pushing it to the absolute max. Uh, trying to edit that in iMovie, <laughs> and then eventually I was like, okay, I need something bigger and more capable. And Final Cut is just like iMovie Pro. It's like, if sure. you if you know how to run iMovie, Final Cut is like a super easy transition. So that's kind of, that was also part of it. I'm, I try to be really efficient with my time with that stuff. I mean, I've been on Pro Tools since version five. And like, it doesn't even really matter what other options there are. I do actually believe Pro Tools is the best, but it doesn't even matter what else comes along because I'm not going to learn anything else. Like I'm here, yes. it's an industry standard, running Pro Tools is like breathing for me. So I'm just going to keep using that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't want to take the time. I still, this year, I've pulled the reins back a little bit because the YouTube thing has taken off to to the extent that it has. But up until last year, up until all the way through 2022, I was still working on over 150 songs a year every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they try to add making YouTube content on top of that uh, there's there's not time to learn a new daw or a new video editing <laughs> software or
0: or eat
1: or breathe or sleep or anything else
0: there's not time for it so i'm i'm with you on that i, I that's i mean that's actually the the horrible addiction that is apple right mm. like, i'm 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 a mac guy too and iphone and everything else because i don't want to learn the other stuff i did have to work on windows in my last job and i didn't enjoy it so Mm-mm. there was that but every time I go to buy a new computer, I'm like, hmm, this, uh, this is how you get us, Apple. This yep. is how you get us hooked on the UI. Yep. And I am now apparently willing to spend three times as much on a computer <laughs> just so I can have that UI.
1: <laughs> There's, they definitely do a really good job with uh, locking you into the ecosystem. I mean, I, I just, love it.
0: I'm like, that's like yeah.
1: an abusive relationship. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like,
0: yes, please, daddy.
1: Just airdrop <laughs> and handoff alone oh, will keep me on Apple forever. Just I those love air airdrop's,
0: airdrops yeah. incredible. I've never not, not used handoff yet. What's handoff?
1: So I can be like browsing on my phone, oh, and then right. it will show up on my computer and I just tap on it, and now I'm continuing the same browsing experience mm-hmm. but on the computer. Uh, and that that's awesome. Or like you know, airplay, like re- screen sharing, like all that kind of stuff is just. It's just so seamless with Mm -hmm. the Apple stuff. And now with the Apple Silicon, we are all over the place, which is totally fine with me. That's I love it, yeah. (laughs) Now with the Apple Silicon, uh, I think they finally actually have the processing power edge, especially for video and photo and graphics. Mm -hmm. I think for pro audio, it's fine to use whatever because it's not nearly as CPU intensive as video work. But, I mean, running... Final Cut on the new, like the computer I'm on right now is the M2 Max 14-inch MacBook Pro, and it is shockingly fast for video stuff. Like it's it's almost unbelievable that that much power
0: exists in a bone stock, just buy it off the shelf machine. Right? Oh, sorry, crazy. my stupid ca- my stupid camera. I love this thing, but sometimes it just auto zooms for some reason. And like, I didn't tell you to do that. Why are you doing? You just you got to get a Windows machine. It won't do that on Windows. <laughs> <laughs> my InstaLink 360 camera. (laughs) Oh, is it? Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, sometimes it's just like oh, you meant to do that, because it has all these like AI things, like if I do certain gestures, it'll follow me around the room and stuff. That's Um, funny. But I don't want it to do that right now, so stop (laughs) it. Stop it, camera. Um, Oh, that's amazing. Anyway, uh, I did want to talk to you about something specific that I didn't know I wanted to talk to you about until we were texting the other day. Yeah. Give everybody the lowdown on what's up with the Atmos thing right now.
1: Yeah, What is the deal? So so this will be the first time I publicly speak about this. Uh, It's going to end up being an entire series on the YouTube channel. Basically, part of this is stuff that I know for a fact, and part of this is my own opinion on why they're doing what they're doing. So don't take 100% of this as completely factual information. Uh, But basically, it came out February 1st, Uh, through the head of Warner Chapel here in town, that you would no longer get playlisted on Apple Music if you didn't submit your mixes in Atmos. And for those of you listening that don't know, Atmos is basically a glorified surround sound. It's a newer format. It is absolutely incredible to experience in person, and we're getting closer to be able to experience it in headphones. But it's basically surround sound. So you've got uh left center right and then sides on both sides two sides in the back and then height speakers so there's left and right top and uh left and right rear top and you bas- it's a basically 360 degree immersive experience where you can pan or position anything anywhere around you and it i mean the first time i heard it 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 broke my brain you were at Sweetwater you probably experienced it as well i did yes in the same that. room It Mm -hmm. it actually broke my brain. But since that moment, that's been almost a year ago now, hasn't it? Uh, Just about.
0: Creeping up. I think June is when they did it. So yeah, we're getting there. So ever since then,
1: and even a month or so leading up to that, I've been watching this Atmos thing, wondering if it's a gimmick, wondering if it's going to stick around. Is this a new format we're all going to have to conform to? And then, uh, funny enough, just, uh, man, like the end of January, I sat down with my wife and I was like, I'm getting this gut feeling that I'm going to need to put an Atmos rig in. And I have always been really big on trusting those gut feelings. Cause it's never, it's never led me wrong in my career so far. I'm like, I feel like this is here to stay uh, Cadillac. I think Cadillac and Mercedes and BMW all now have like Atmos rigs in their cars,
0: which that was, that was a big mm. one for me. I'm like, okay, okay. it's getting real serious now. Yeah, because they Um, say like, is it the Mercedes, which I forget which class it is. It's the S class. No, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever. One of the top top line Mercedes is. If you look at those cars, all of those features end up in base models over the next ten years. Exactly,
1: exactly. And Mm -hmm. so as soon as those, you know, those auto manufacturers aren't going to dump millions of dollars into R and D to for this to just kind of go away. And so I, I was watching all that, and I'm like, I feel like this needs to be a thing. Like three days later it came out that you won't get playlisted on apple music anymore without submitting atmos mixes now, did they say
0: that publicly or is that just scuttlebutt in town uh
1: it's hard to say apple definitely didn't make like a, a media announcement on it but it is definitely like the inside knowledge in town from all the top labels like they they all know that you're not going to get playlisted even if you open apple music all the stuff on not just playlisted, but all the stuff on the homepage. You will only be on the homepage if it's in Atmos. Mm-hmm. Um, my my thought is that Spotify has been kicking Apple Music's butt for so long now in terms of quantity of users. Yes. that they've been trying to figure out how to, to how to get the get it get them back basically. And I think step one was when Apple Music took over the TikTok streams. I don't remember how long ago that was. Maybe a year ago or so. Now every song that plays on TikTok counts as an Apple Music stream. Mm -hmm. And that took all of my clients from like making more money off of Spotify and getting more spins on Spotify than Apple Music to now, maybe they're still getting more spins on Spotify, but they're making more money on Apple Music. And so that really shifted the dynamic. And I think that was step one. I think this Atmos thing is step two for them trying to take over Spotify, not take over as in buy, but like you know, beat them market their share. own game market yeah. share. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now that we know, as soon as we found out, it took a week, five days, seven days for this word to kind of trickle around town. And then instantly half of my clients were like, yeah, so that song we're working on, I'm going to need that in Atmos." And I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. and that was exactly what personally I was trying to avoid that gut feeling that I had. I'm like, I need to be ahead of this. So that way I'm ready when the first person needs it. And we're we're already past that. It's already too late. Now the word uh, around town, this is very unofficial, but the word around town is that it's not going to be terribly long before you won't be able to submit to Apple Music without it being in Atmos, that's, which means... That's
0: my, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it, it,
1: and I don't know what kind of time frame that looks like. Is that three months? Is that a year? Is that five years? No one really knows. But it's kind of... Everyone that I've talked to and all the major players in the industry, they all are saying and thinking the same things that this is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Eventually, Spotify is going to have to answer to this and start doing Atmos on their platform as well or spatial or whatever they want to call it or come up with an alternative format uh, that competes directly with it, whichever way it ends up happening. And so it just seems like it seems like this is here to stay. It seems like it's what has to happen um and it's it's pretty wild and it is i I, so what i hope is that one day it will get good enough to be able to do it in headphones because i i don't want all of these um novice and intermediate producers to not be able to create music like not be able to release music because they don't have a you know, an Atmos rig in their, in their house or in their studio. Cause right now, like the minimum you can spend on an Atmos rig is, is about 10 grand. You really right. kind of can't get it done for less than that. And that is, that is on the cheap, cheap. Um, so anyway, it's been, panic mode over here, uh, which is why it took so long for us to get together. I was ignoring (laughs) you and leaving you on red for so many times because I'm kind (laughs) of over here in panic mode trying to figure out what's going to go in my room. And then it becomes so multifaceted because not only do I have to figure out the rig itself and figure out, You know, Dolby has to come out and like certify my room and do all of this crazy stuff. Oh,
0: geez, really. Wow. Oh, it's a it's a big
1: deal. And Dolby has very specific specs on what what you can put in for the size of your room and the distance of the speakers. And so there's there's that sort of technical stuff to figure out. And then there's also uh you know, just the, obviously this is going to get filmed for YouTube. So I, that's a whole nother moving piece of like, how do I split this apart into a series, excuse me, that is, that will provide the most value to the most people. Cause if, if this is really where we're going, eventually everyone's going to have to do this. So I want to have the whole thing laid out from start to finish. And then you know, full disclosure I, I'm sure everyone's aware of it at this time. Once you have a YouTube audience that's big enough, you work closely with a lot of companies and sponsors and all that stuff. so then figuring out what companies want to sponsor stuff, what companies won't sponsor stuff, what I have to actually purchase, what I can get at a discount, or you know just all of those moving parts mm-hmm. so it instead of just putting an Atmos rig in now it's like Atmos rig plus YouTube series plus brand deals, and that that is like. Just so much more complex. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been in kind of panic mode for the past couple of weeks over this planning and getting it all ready to go. So we're world exclusive. I haven't even announced any of that publicly yet, but well, there you go. World exclusive. Look at that.
0: Yeah. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the gear exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby because... Let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fun new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there, I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio, Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Goodherds. Well, it's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're getting it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about lossing, I invite you to head over to chaselessaudio.com. Gonna
1: like what you find. Exclusive. This will this will get clipped and uh and shared all over the place, and then my <laughs> video will, will flop when I announce it. <laughs> I
0: don't think so. I don't think so. No. But, but that's it's, that's it's the so nuts and bolts of the Atmos thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm. thank you for explaining all that. Like that was very, very helpful because so like you since yeah, you know, since uh, Sweetwater, I've mm-hmm. been thinking about it a lot too. Now yeah. I don't have to. I have like very stripped down situation compared to what you do. I'm just doing stuff for me. You know, that, yeah, that's that's that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I do a little. I laid I lay some guitars or whatever down on on people's things once in a while and do music for people, but not in the same way that you do. Yeah, and and so I I have a very basic setup here, like almost as basic as it gets. And but I I the music I make is very weird and cinematic and like oh nice. Like, stop doing that, camera. This is the most annoying (laughs) thing I've ever... I've never had it do it this much. Like, it's glitching out hard right now. Oh, no. Anyway, uh, it's just really, it's, it's out there. And everyone's like, oh, this sounds like it should be in a horror movie. And I'd love to work on some of that stuff. But I've had this really... That's awesome. ...really insane project in mind for Halloween, where essentially the nutshell version that I've been telling people is, I want to have, like, a haunted house set up. But it's oh. just a, a room that you go into with maybe five to 10 people, sit mm-hmm. down, and basically you come out and you feel like you were on acid for like the last 20 yeah. minutes. That's kind of nice. the idea. So like nice. on a big audio visual experience. But I was like, man, it'd be so cool to do this not in stereo, to do this yeah. in Atmos. Absolutely. But I'm like, I'm like, how do I even start doing that? Like, oh, I have man. no idea. And and the answer is I, I'm not going to because uh, yeah, yeah. there's just there's no way. I mean, unless I go somewhere, right, like your studio, uh, <laughs> come on over <laughs> unless I do that. There's just no way it's going to happen because I, I just I can't justify that kind of investment when I'm not doing that for a living. Yeah. And that's my least favorite part about it. Like creatively,
1: from a creative production standpoint, I'm so pumped about it because it it's really the first evolution in what we could do from a creative standpoint since stereo Mm -hmm. um and so i'm very very excited about the creative side of it the logistical side of it is and it will get smoothed out over time but right right now the logistical side of it is an absolute nightmare nobody Mm -hmm. actually knows there's we're all in the testing phase i've been chatting with a bunch of other mixers big mixers around town and like everyone's just experimenting because nobody there's no standard for anything it's it's very other than like you know you can only you can't submit if it's above minus 18 db and all there's a bunch of technical stuff like that but so i'm, I'm really excited about the creative i'm really terrified for the logistical and i'm mostly terrified for just like what you just said people like yourself who like uh, you can't you can't justify that level of investment it's uh Mm-mm. it's rough it's rough and i hope my hope is that the by the time if it comes down that you have to have Atmos in order to distribute your music, my hope is that the algorithms and the headphones will get good enough that you can actually get by with headphones before it's actually required. We're in this Mm -hmm. weird place right now where like there's no shortcuts. You have to put 12 speakers, 13 speakers in your room to even really actually do it. Um, And hopefully you can do it in headphones soon.
0: Yeah, I've I was actually just watching a video on Sweetwater the other day where they were doing they were kind of showing how you can start to do some of it in headphones. Mm-hmm. And my immediate thought was, "There's no way it's there yet." Like, no, uh, it's not. Having having experienced it in in person, I probably yeah. wouldn't have thought that otherwise. But having been at Sweetwater and had the full, you know, Sean give us the whole experience, yep. I was like, "There's there's no way that this is." binaural yet. No, and even a step further than that,
1: uh, all the, not all, but a lot of the record labels, like here in town, a lot of the labels have Atmos rigs in the label. So the the A&Rs just walk out their office and down the hall, and then they get to listen to your mix in Atmos and give you mix notes. I was chatting with Jeff Giuliano the other day who does like, yeah, I mean, he does everybody. He He's mixing Brad Paisley and Dan and Shay and Florida Georgia line and all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. he was telling me how he started off in headphones because he was like, I don't know if this is going to stick. I'm not buying all this gear till I know what's up. And so he was doing these mixes for these huge artists in headphones and then sending it to the label. And the label would be like, well, why did you have that guitar panned up here? And it's way too loud. And he's like, oh, it sounds fine to me. And so he, his point was just that. We are definitely not there with the headphones yet. Hopefully one day, but as of right now, it's not doable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's freaky. And it sucks because that's what is so cool about this current moment that we're in with music. Like you said, independent artists can truly make some headway. Mm-hmm. And this could really throw a, a huge wrench into all that. And Absolutely. I Absolutely. don't like that at all.
1: <laughs> well, it, it it's interesting because uh, I think the last stat that I saw... 90,000 songs get uploaded to Spotify a day, um, 90,000. And so we could probably do with a little bit of gatekeeping, like this much gatekeeping, like we could probably <laughs> cut that in half and be just fine. But it's all the people who are really trying to take it seriously. It's all the people who are really actually trying to create good music that's, that are not of any level of success yet. Those are the people that I worry about the most.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it really it could really put a a big dent in the democratization that has happened. You know? Yes. One, and uh I I don't think we wanna I don't think we wanna see that ultimately. So hopefully no. the the requirement to submit does not actually happen. I feel yeah. like it I feel like maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but the the powers that be at Apple specifically. They they know that that's not great. They know that a lot of people who use their products, you know, go there for content that's not based upon that. I guess well, that's the easiest way to say it. So I would hope that the rollout would be a little more seamless. But maybe I'm being yeah. optimistic. I, I
1: would I would love to agree with you, but at the end of the day, Apple is like a three or four trillion dollar company, and I think. I think really at the end of the day, the only thing they care about is money. I don't think, and I think, and I'm not saying that necessarily in a negative sense because I think every Fortune 500 and up company is, I mean, they got they have to make money, otherwise it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm nervous that their only singular goal is overthrowing Spotify. Um, and I'm nervous that they will do absolutely whatever it takes. And if... Uh, if the casualties of that overthrowing are the bedroom producer, I don't think they care. Um, probably not, probably And not. I also don't think Spotify would care either. I don't think any of them actually care. I think it's all about market share and how they can steal market share from the other. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's not like a, a, Apple's a bad company or Spotify's a bad company or anything like that. I just think they're it's so far outside of their peripheral vision and it's just not a concern for them in my opinion I, I hope i'm wrong but i don't i don't think i am
0: no i don't think you are either uh, it's it's a really it's a really weird situation to be possibly staring down the barrel of a lot of this mm-hmm. not being possible that we've gotten used to but then again it might be it might be such a thing where it's like okay now youtube is very friendly towards that crowd and that's where everybody you know everybody migrates yeah. to if there's a hole, it will be filled. If it's if Absolutely. it's a demand, if it's a demanding enough, hole somebody's going to step in and fill it. Who that is? Well, and, who knows. And something that I
1: see uh, exploding even more. I mean, we've seen over the past you know decade or so the the resurgence of vinyl and like I don't remember what year it was, but like 2018 ish. I did a bunch of research in uh, around that time, and there was uh, I, I think the vinyl was like nine or 12% of the overall gross revenue of the entire music industry was coming from vinyl. And I'm sure that that's much more significant now than it was back then. And so I think the further we go down this technological rabbit hole, the more of a market there will be for recording on tape machines, only releasing on vinyl, like the more that niche stuff is gonna be desirable by a certain percentage of people. And so I think that that can be really cool, because um, it's going to be you're you're going to be the rebel, like you're going to be like going against the system, like by only recording on tape and releasing vinyl. That will be something <laughs> that is like so specific, even
0: more than it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that angle because I'm a mm-hmm. and I'm a vinyl purchaser. I'm one of those people that listen to music on vinyl, and that obviously not super conducive to Atmos. Uh, no, not... impossible, actually. <laughs> it's not going to really work, is it? No, <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: no. And I don't see vinyl going, no matter what happens with streaming, whether they all convert to Atmos and you have to have Atmos to submit, regardless of what happens with all of that, vinyl is not going anywhere. Or these these more vintage, uh, old school experiences of going to a store, even if vinyl becomes not a thing and we, we move on to cassette tapes or something. Uh, <laughs> You know uh, the idea of going to a record store and summing through a bunch of records and finding the thing that you want and then it 's an occasion you go home and you open it and you put it on your record player, and you look at the liner notes and you there's always going to be a market for that i just i'm not a hundred percent sure if that will always be vinyl or if that will continue to evolve, but there was always going to be a market for the analog experience, so mm-hmm.
0: yep, well, vinyl is the only. Physical format that has never died. So mm. it, it, I just saw that uh, there was an infographic on that that was getting shared around, and like vinyls, the only it, it actually said in the because it was like just showing all the different. uh It was like an animation of mm-hmm. the different sales in the music industry, and it I even said in the, it, in the corner it said vinyl never dies. <laughs> it was because it was like showing like eight track drop off and whatever yeah. else, and it was like vinyl never dies. I was like, oh, that's interesting. That'd, That'd be cool very t-shirt. interesting absolutely it'd be a cool t-shirt i love it (laughs) you know this is the first episode ever i think that we've made it through a hundred percent and really didn't talk about guitars at all well man i'm happy to discuss that i actually just went through a a whole big guitar thing that just got went up on the channel today so lots to talk about there maybe we'll save that uh that for the the patrons of the podcast what do you think sounds great whatever whatever makes sense to you i am uh i am at your whims all right sounds good dude well we're approaching the end of the podcast and before we sign off i like to give the guest a chance to take the floor shout out anybody you want to shout out you know talk to a, you're talking to a couple thousand people right now so say anything you want to say plug anything you want to plug the floor is yours and then i got a couple classic questions and we we wrap this portion up nice uh man i don't i don't have a whole lot just um
1: try to keep making good music and be a good hang and uh, be will. If you want a career in anything music related, you have to just be willing to outwork all those around you. And there's, there's not, we touched on that earlier, but the, the whole point of my YouTube channel is to try to be like the mentor that I wish I would have had. And I think that, that thing right there is so important to the success of, of people's career. And uh, yeah, obviously follow me on Instagram and YouTube and all that stuff. But But really just uh, try to outwork those around you. And not in a competition thing, like be in competition with yourself, but you have to work really, really, really hard. And you have to be willing to do this music thing, whether it's ramen noodles or surf and turf. Uh, And I think any attitude less than that drastically reduces the chances that you are successful at this thing. So that's kind of my whole whole message. I love that, that's perfect.
0: Yeah. All right, right. final questions. Here we go, first one. What is your favorite boss pedal? (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Noise gate. (laughs) Oh, all right. All right. Is that the NS2? NS2. Yep. Yep. You like the side chain? Never used it. Uh, Just uh, of all the boss pedals that I have had over the years, it's the only uh, one that still sits over there under the rig. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. We, I think we talked over each other a little bit. The connection got weird. But Oh, uh, sorry. Can you, you say ahead. that again? Uh, I just
1: of, of all the boss pedals that I've had over the years, the uh, NS2 is the only one that I still have. All right. Outside of the, the, the new Waza tube amp expander that,
0: that I just did a whole thing on. Oh, it's my favorite thing in the world. I just got one, too. I love it's, it so much. It, I'm going to piss people off by saying this, but it's the best one. It is. It is the best one. It's the best one. It's the best one. I think it's one of the best pieces of gear that have ever been created. That's why I I love it so much. I won't I won't call you on that. I won't disagree with that, but that's that's a big statement. I think it's awesome. I I, it can do so many things that I didn't know I needed to do and make my it's made my life so much easier.
1: And it feels, to me, the the biggest thing, because there's good sounding options out there. There are other good sounding options out there, but it feels the best. I found myself, Sweetwater sent me a whole bunch of different options, and I found myself, even when totally not paying attention to the sonics of it, I just found myself wanting to play through
0: it more than the other options, and that's mm-hmm. a big deal to me. Yep, absolutely. Well, we'll get in, we'll get into that a little bit more, but here's <laughs> yes. the... The final question, this one gets a little bit dicey. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Um, cheese and sausage stuffed crust. Oh, no, stuffed
1: no, crust? No, 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 no. No, no, oh. no I'm sorry. Oh. I'm betr- I'm betraying my sh- my northern Illinois roots. No, the uh the stuffed pe- Chicago style pizza where the cheese and all the toppings are inside and the sauce is on the top. Mm-hmm. That's actually my favorite, the Chicago deep dish style. And then for like a regular nonsense pizza like the stuff we have
0: here in Nashville. Yeah. Cheese and sausage stuff crust. That's a that's a fail-safe. You've got some good options in Nashville. We'll have to, you know, we'll have to explore some of Have you been to Smith and Lentz yet? I have not. So when we moved here, I went on a uh
1: Euro wings and pizza tirade trying to find my things. And like mm-hmm. you know, we moved here like eight years ago and none of them were good. Like just none of them. And a bunch of places have opened since then and I have not really I've not really made the rounds again since all these new options opened up. So I need to do that. I'm sure there's good options here. But it's it's pretty disappointing compared to Chicago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know that there's a good deep dish option. I, I that That's not really what I gravitate towards. So I, mm. I can't advise you there. But five points, solid New York style. Yep, it um, is. It, it's not the best in the world, but it's solid. It's uh, solid. There used to be one called Joey's that was a really solid New York style, but it's gone. Mm. Uh, unfortunately those were actual new yorkers from new york city then they they yelled at you like you were in new york city when you were in there it was great (laughs) um my my wife just went to a place in the is i think
1: it's in the cummins building uh and it's like run by actual italian people that can barely speak english and she brought home some leftovers is that it Mm -hmm. i think that and it was it it was not like traditional-style pizza. It felt kind of authentic Italian, not like Americanized pizza, but it was yeah. very v- – just the leftovers were incredible. But I
0: haven't been there, so. You need to go there. That was going to be one of my other suggestions. Love hmm. that place. And also, if you go there, one of you should get the pizza and one of you should get the lasagna. Oh. The lasagna. And I, My wife is obsessed with lasagna. I'm not like – that's not what I go for most of the time if I'm at an, at an Italian place. Yeah. But this lasagna is absolutely insane. So, yes, go there. Enjoy yourself. And then Smith & Lentz Brewing, I think, has the uh, the best pizza in Nashville by a pretty pretty wide margin. And Midnight Oil is pretty good, too. Really? But, yeah, but Smith & Lentz is really good. I yeah. will absolutely have to check it out. Mm-hmm. All right, there you go. Cool. <laughs> Colt, thanks so much for hanging out. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we finally got to meet up on this. Yeah, dude. Thank you. All right, everybody for Colt. This is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Colt. And of course, don't forget, you can find the links to his YouTube channel in the show notes, and it's well worth subscribing. He provides a wealth of information. He's very knowledgeable and the content is extremely high quality. I really, really like his channel which is why he was here in the first place, beyond just being a very cool and knowledgeable dude. We actually spent over an hour discussing other things over on the Patreon section of the podcast, and I felt like I could have talked to him all day long. We talk about going direct and how that's kind of a new thing for both of us and what our opinions on the different solutions are and a lot of other stuff. Like, we really just go all over the place. He's somebody I could easily spend... Hours and hours. Actually, I did spend hours and hours, but I could spend more hours talking with Colt because he's a, a great conversationalist and a very knowledgeable, cool person. So if you'd like that, patreon.com/slash tone mob, five bucks a month will get you access to that as well as the ad-free feed. If you just want the ad-free feed, $3 a month will get you that as well. And don't forget, I'm kind of doing some YouTube stuff as well. I'm learning my way through this. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm Nowhere near as good as Colt is, but I'm trying. And if you would like to see my feeble attempts at YouTube, please go over to the Tone Mob YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you would just like to see the video version of these podcasts, you can go there as well. I don't put up every episode. Sometimes there's some technical snags with all this remote recording stuff. But I'm putting up as many as I physically have time to edit and get out there. And that's most of the recent episodes. So check that out if video podcasts are your thing or if you just want to see what I'm messing around with over on YouTube. I would really appreciate it. All right. I've been talking for a while now. I'm going to get out of your hair and get you on with your day. Later. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you.